Welcome to the Sui Generous Show, your unique perspective on everything you need to know about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. With Erica Merrill, I'm attorney Brian Jones, criminal defense and civil rights warrior. Today in segment one, we'll be celebrating Virginia as the first state in the South to abolish the death penalty. And we'll be checking in on two sheriffs, one in the state of Washington who called 911 on a black man and lied about the incident and a former Pike County, Ohio sheriff named Charles Reeder, who has now been sentenced to three years in prison for admittedly stealing money from drug busts and borrowing money from his subordinates. Today in segment two, we'll be exploring the importance of jury selection or what's known as voir dire in sexual misconduct cases involving children. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Check out the Law Office of Brian Jones and all of our social media outlets for everything you need to know about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. So Erica, did you see in the news this week, Virginia, the state that has executed more people than any other state in the nation, has become the first Southern state to abolish the death penalty. Wow, that's really awesome. I'm glad to hear that states are starting to do the right thing. Some people might think that Texas was the state with the most executions. So Virginia has executed more than 1,300 people since its founding as a colony in the 1600s. So we're really just talking about a much longer duration of killing human beings that the state of Virginia has been doing than Texas. Specifically since 1976, when the Supreme Court reinstated capital punishment, it's executed 133 people. Now, you are correct, Erica, that in the last 45 years, nobody has executed more people than Texas. Uh, but in terms of all time scores, Virginia holds that distinction. But it looks like Texas is gonna start catching up now. Well, I guess they have their opportunity, which is gruesome. So can you tell us what is the most interesting about this piece of legislation. Virginia now joins 22 other states that have abolished the death penalty and leads the way in the South. This legislation is important because of who supported it as much as it is important because of what it achieved. A variety of former defenders of the death penalty have now embraced abolition and supported this legislation. Specifically, 21 families of murder victims released an open letter to the Virginia General Assembly in support of abolishing the death penalty. And they signed uh, this letter signaling a change in the idea that legislatures must support the death penalty in order to benefit uh, victims of crime families. So it's really a shift in mentality among those victims' families that has uh, pushed this charge maybe over the finish line. Wow, how amazing is that? I mean, that's surprising to me, but it's a great surprise. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Can you let us know what happens to the people that are on death row right now? No Virginia jury has imposed a death sentence since 2011. So it's been 10 years now since that has happened. And at this point, there are only two people on death row in Virginia. So now that the governor has signed the legislation into law, 
those two men will have their death sentences commuted to life without the possibility of parole. Now, you may recall from previous discussions that sometimes that even means that you get the opportunity for early release or parole, but these individuals were over the age of 18 at the time of their murders, so neither is eligible for parole under the Supreme Court's prohibition against life sentences for juveniles. Well, I mean, they're not going to die, so that's a good thing, and hopefully they can find a way to better themselves from behind bars. Absolutely, Erica. The opportunity for redemption can still come to these individuals and they can contribute to the healing process of their victims' families. Now, Erica, did you see in other news this week that a Washington sheriff is under fire for calling 911 on a black newspaper delivery boy and his lies that he told about the incident to investigators? Wow. Yes, I did. This is such a wild story and wildly inappropriate for him to do what he did. Would you mind going over some of the details of the situation? Yeah. So Pierce County, Washington Sheriff Ed Troyer um, is facing calls to resign because he has now admitted to lying about this investigation that he started. He claims that he was off duty and at his home residence when he noticed a car driving slowly down the street. It was a paper delivery driver, uh, 24-year-old Cedric Alzheimer. Now, the black man was described as driving his paper route and delivering papers as he does every single evening. And he suddenly noticed this SUV driven by Ed Troyer following him. Now, at one point after dropping a paper off at one of the homes on the route, Mr. Alzheimer approached Troyer's SUV and asked why he was being followed. Ed Troyer refused to identify himself and questioned Mr. Alzheimer about why he was in the neighborhood and accused him of stealing packages. The two, in, the two exchanged additional words and ultimately Alzheimer returned to his car and continued his paper route with the sheriff stalking him the entire time. The confrontation ended when two men faced each other off and flashed their brights at one another. At this point, the sheriff called 911 and lied claiming he saw somebody in his driveway and that person threatened to kill him. That lie led to 40 Four zero deputies responding to the neighborhood and putting Mr. Alzheimer's life at risk because they held him at gunpoint. And we all know the statistics that involve these sorts of situations and black men. He was first found to have no weapons and was found to be carrying, wait for it, Erica, a car full of newspapers. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. <laughs> this is crazy. And did they actually, I, I know that they didn't, but they probably should have checked the sheriff's blood alcohol content. I mean, why in the heck would he even do something like this? And how did they find out that he lied? Well, he did this because he's a racist person, Erica, and it came to light because he couldn't keep his racist stories straight. The sheriff, Ed Troyer, gave two different versions of the events, first to the 911 dispatcher and then a different one to the deputies that arrived on the scene. 
He told the deputies on the scene that he noticed the car and started following it and never told them about the threats made against his life. Now, remember, he had told the dispatcher that Mr. Altheimer had threatened to kill him. Troyer then went on to tell a variety of different stories about the evening to the local press, uh, both through print and media, uh, print and radio media outlets. Finally, after lying for days on end, the sheriff issued a statement claiming that his initial report to 911 was in fact the truth. Now, this sheriff is the one that lied to the public back in 2020 when his office murdered Manuel Ellis, a 33-year-old Black man, in March of 2020. Now, at that time, he had come forward and said Mr. Ellis had never been placed in a chokehold, and he had to retract those lies when independent witness footage verified that Mr. Ellis had, in fact, died of being placed in a chokehold. What? Why does he still have his job from last year? If he was already caught lying once, I'm just, I'm shocked. And I'm also shocked that after being given a break, he wouldn't be a little more careful in his judgments. Well, he still has a job because he's an elected official. And the only way to remove him would be either to vote him out or if this particular county has recall elections to recall him. So that's one of the ways that they can get some recourse in this situation as a community. Are there any other ways? Yeah, so hopefully there will be a criminal investigation into this and he could face charges for misconduct in office or um, falsifying information to law enforcement. Um, I, for one, hope that the community continues to speak out to the press and pressure uh, pressure Sheriff Troyer's office on social media. So hopefully he'll uh, step down voluntarily. A person like this should never be involved in law enforcement. I mean, this is one of the most corrupt stories that we've talked about. And I'm glad that they're going to get a hold on it. Hopefully they vote him out and hopefully he gets punished for what he's done. Speaking of corruption in sheriff's departments, here in Ohio, Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder is now on his way to prison for three years for theft charges. Did you see this in the news this week, Erica? Yeah, I did. And I found it also very interesting. Um, when did this investigation start? Many Ohioans will recall the tragedy of the murders of multiple members of the Roden family in Pike County in 2016. It was one of the most horrific mass casualty events in the state of Ohio's recent history. Indeed, it was during that investigation that a detailed multi-page anonymous letter was submitted to local law enforcement asking that Sheriff Reeder be investigated for theft in office, stealing money from drug busts to pay off his gambling debts, taking loans from subordinate deputies, and seizing property like vehicles for his and his family's personal use. Now, the sheriff did not respond well to this investigation and did a fair amount of spouting off on social media, both directed at the local press and the prosecuting attorney for even considering to investigate these activities. Look at where that got him. I mean, 
using social media to trash talk the attorney that was defending. I'm just shocked that this would happen with a, a, a public official like this. What charges did the sheriff end up pleading guilty to after all of this? He was initially charged in a 16-count indictment with multiple counts of theft, tampering with evidence, theft in office, securing a writing by deception, and multiple counts of conflicts of interest. Later, he was indicted on additional charges for conspiracy, engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, and additional theft charges. Now, he ultimately pled guilty to five counts, including theft in office, tampering with evidence, and conflict of interest. I mean, do you think that a three-year jail sentence is significant, and is it significant enough? So it's in line with sentencing of other elected officials in Ohio who've been convicted of theft in office. It's highly significant that the judge rejected all of his mitigation, including his disclosure of PTSD related to the rodent investigation, his gambling addiction that resulted in huge losses in Ohio and Nevada uh, casinos, and his emotional plea for leniency. However, when we consider the sentencing factors, the sheriff checks a lot of boxes for aggravating circumstances warranting a prison sentence. And remember that just because a plea bargain was reached and certain charges were dismissed, doesn't mean the judge won't consider the full breadth of those allegations and the indicted charges. In this case, it's pretty clear the judge did not accept his explanation that he was stealing from drug dealers and giving back to the community, as he claimed. It's also hard to downplay the negative effect that his behavior had on such a serious investigation in a major violent crime. And this man is running around driving impounded cars and stealing from drug dealers to pay his gambling debts. Even if he is not called as a state's witness, his imprint, his, his specter over this investigation really complicates the prosecution of the accused killers. He's just a really bad guy. And it's shocking to hear about someone who's supposed to be out there protecting the community out there doing so many bad things and acting like a common criminal, the kind of people that he probably despises and locks up every day. So I'm glad that he's getting some kind of punishment for this and that his bad deeds have come to light. Well, that level of corruption is likely rampant in America's law enforcement systems, and one more being flushed out of the system and hopefully getting somebody with an honest demeanor into that sheriff's office will improve the lives of everybody in Pike County, Ohio. With that, Erica, let's move on to our featured topic this week. Fewer than 2% of all federal criminal indictments and 5% of state criminal cases ever get placed in front of a jury. Of the cases that do go, nearly 70% are allegations of sexual misconduct. Cases that involve child accusers are some of the most complex cases to bring in front of a jury, and surprisingly, one of the most frequent types to see a jury trial. 
Let's explore this week the importance of jury selection in child accusation cases. I mean, I can kind of imagine the answer to this question because just thinking about children being harmed as a mom, it, you know, it really, it kills me a little bit, but why, if you can explain, you know, why jury selection is so important in child accusation trials? Well, to be fair, jury selection is critical in every case. It's my opinion that there is no stage of the trial more important than jury selection. But the reason it's extra important in child accusation cases is because of exactly what you're talking about, Erica. The innate subconscious instinct that most humans have to protect children. While we have to be aware that this instinct is in every person and shapes the way they look at the world, when we're doing jury selection, we as attorneys must invite each person to consider that instinct and consider how it's going to affect them and whether they can be a fair and open person to the evidence that contradicts those child's statements. This is a sophisticated dance because the attorney has to be careful not to alienate or offend, but also to push the jurors to explore the deeper values that they believe in the American criminal justice system. Now, creating a rapport that encourages communication will ensure that jurors start to feel that they can really test the credibility of a child. Um, but as the process goes forward, hopefully they feel less and less hesitant about that um, and more and more willing to be comfortable talking to me and telling me that they don't wanna sit on this jury. You know, Either they've gotta to come to the conclusion that they can challenge that credibility or be comfortable enough to say, this isn't the right case for me. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. It definitely is an art. I know that they have jury trial experts that help with picking out the jury members because it is so important to the trial. How can you be sure that someone is not going to be swayed by having a child in the courtroom? To a certain extent, you never can be. Jury selection is as much an art as it is a science. And that's why having an experienced and skilled trial lawyer is critical when you're facing trial on a child's accusations of sexual assault. I mean, I, I totally agree. And I mean, this is the time where I would love to tell people if you have a situation like this or any other criminal matter uh, the office of Brian Jones is amazing at what they do. They are professionals. They know the right strategies and they are incredibly down to earth. You don't have to be embarrassed. They have heard it all and they are just looking to get the best outcome for you and your family. Um, and we've talked about this before, like just a false accusation can ruin your entire life. There's just no two ways around it. And, um, we really appreciate what you do for your community, Brian. Well, I, I appreciate that. And it's it's been decades in the making um, to reach the point where uh, I can walk up in front of a jury and have these very difficult but critical conversations. 
um, about the balance between our innate human desire to protect children and the critical constitutional function of the jury. Absolutely. So one thing that I didn't know about when I was looking over what we were talking about today is that sometimes children are allowed to bring in stuffed animals or even emotional support dogs. And I mean, I, I understand it might be something that someone needs, but I can also see where something like that would really pull some emotions out of the the jury members to just make them look even more vulnerable. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So on some level, allowing any witness a comfort aid, such as a, a worry stone, a rosary, or some small item of jewelry is, is an acceptable courtesy that attorneys and the court will likely allow. Now that doesn't mean that the cross-examining attorney shouldn't comment on whatever the witness is holding in their lap. But items that inspire sympathy, such as teddy bears or toys or dogs, are absolutely objectionable, unless same courtesy is going to be provided to the accused when he or she takes the stand to testify. The data is still being collected for the academic study of the impact of uh, comfort dogs or toys on jurors in a trial setting. So while we await a scientific analysis of the danger of inspiring sympathy, or alternatively inspiring the passions of a jury, we are going to err on the side of caution and say, this is unacceptable. Now, there are practical considerations as well. Even the most well-trained dog can't avoid triggering allergies or responding to the circumstances of a jury trial. And those issues are exacerbated in today's era of COVID infection. Yeah, I mean, that is something to consider. People are having trouble breathing because of the damage that COVID does to their lungs. And I know as somebody that had COVID and also has asthma, I mean, those, those effects are long lasting, unfortunately. And I do feel like I'm way more allergic to my own dogs. <laughs> so I can imagine um, where that might be a problem. So why is it important that the child be subjected to a cross-examination? A child is subject to the same considerations of truthfulness under the Ohio jury instructions as any other witness who takes the stand. And the accused person has a fundamental Sixth Amendment right to confront every witness that's going to testify against him or her and to have his or her attorney cross-examine that witness, even a child with their conflicting statements, with their misbehaviors, their conflicting behaviors, and otherwise tell the story of the accused through that process of cross-examination. While a child who's under 10 is presumed incompetent to testify, as in that child doesn't know the difference between truth and lie, real and fantasy, that doesn't mean there isn't a way for that child to testify. And in fact, there are very rare exceptions where the child won't testify, which will be the subject of next week's show. But what I think is really important here is that the child be treated in such a way 
that the accused rights are protected because at the end of the day, the child is going home to their parents and the accused may be going to prison for the rest of his or her life. That is so true. And that's why it's really important to defend yourself right the first time. That is absolutely correct. Don't wait around for an appeal or maybe we'll get it right next time. You've got to absolutely assert those rights straight out of the gate and, and every single one that's available. Erica, I appreciate you engaging in this very difficult discussion with me. And for everybody out there listening, I appreciate you for joining us. To become more informed about trial techniques through the process of jury selection, police and government accountability, lying cops, and all of your constitutional and civil rights, check out the law office of brianjones.com. Check out facebook.com slash Central Ohio Criminal Defense or at T-L-O-B-J on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with a sui generis perspective on the next big thing in civil rights and criminal injustice system news, as well as the discussion of defending against accusations of children when the child is too young to testify according to the law. Erica, my grandfather always told me, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And to that, with my friends, today I add, if you do and you get caught, call me. I'll defend your rights as I want mine defended.